So tonight I want to speak to you on um, euthanasia and suicide. And we're almost done now. It's only this sermon and the next, the next sermon on aging and death. And then we're done with a series on, on personal problems. And then in January, because the end of December, the last Sunday in December and the first in January, there won't be evening services because of the Christmas and New Year's service. So then, in the new year, I'll start a series on marriage and family. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord's blessing as we hear the word. Our Father, thank you for the practicality of Scripture and that it addresses all life issues, all things we need to know for life and godliness. Also concerning these issues that we don't tend toward, that we don't um, seek out usually, but, Lord, we need help, for this is a reality even in Christian circles, even in the Church of Jesus Christ, where Christians are tempted to end their lives and have suicidal thoughts, and also where Christians need to make decisions when family or family members on life support, should they switch off the machines, pull the plug. So I do pray that you would give us wisdom in this regard, from your word. We ask this for the sake of your beloved Son, through whom we have redemption, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, all of us, we this, this touches all of us directly or indirectly. I remember last year, we've got a pastor's WhatsApp group, and, and one of the pastors sent a message on a Sunday afternoon saying, please, Will you pray for my wife and I? Our son took his life this afternoon. Really sad. I remember in 2013, it was quite a shock, a well-known pastor in the United States, uh, Rick Warren, and the news, it was all over the media that his son had committed suicide. Uh, a friend of mine, he went to see another pastor in the hospital. This pastor had tried to commit suicide, but he was unsuccessful. A pastor of another denomination. And my friend went to see him, and they spoke about it. And probably two months later, this pastor was successful, and he did end his life. In my own ministry, I've had to do with people who tried to commit suicide, visited a woman in hospital. She tried to kill herself by taking a lot of pills, um, but she was unsuccessful. And then I've also counseled people, people in our own church, even members who've had suicidal thoughts. Uh, a lady who was in our church some years ago, her daughter killed her own child and then shot herself. Really sad. So, so suicide, it's not, a, it's not something we don't know about. It's not something strange, a strange concept to us. Now, the next topic might be strange to us. We're not as familiar with euthanasia, at least not in practice. So euthanasia, that's when an individual or the family of this individual give permission to a doctor to end that person's life so that he won't suffer so much. Uh, so for instance, in South Africa in 2015, a man called Robert uh, Stransom Ford 
65-year-old man. He had prostate, prostate cancer. And he asked the doctor, please, will you help me in my life? Like, inject me so I can die because I'm suffering. And the court actually said that it's fine. The Supreme Court in Pretoria said it's fine that this doctor can help the guy in his life, but before the doctor got to him, he had died. So what's the biblical perspective on this? How do we regard this, this whole issue, this whole matter from Scripture? When it comes to euthanasia, what is the biblical perspective? And what do we do about, what do we make of Christians who, who have suicidal thoughts or even who are successful in ending their lives? Well, let's look at the two matters. First, we're going to look at euthanasia, and then second, we'll, second I'll talk about suicide. So, euthanasia, number one. Uh, I know of a, a woman who had a motor accident, actually a very minor accident, wasn't a big motor accident, or so it seemed, and then she was fine. She got out of the car, um, checked the scratches on the back of her car, someone had bumped into her from the back, and then said, no, no, everything's fine. Took the person's number, called her husband. Her husband came. They drove home. He in his car, she in her car. And then when they got home, she got out and said, my face feels hot. And suddenly she collapsed. They took her to hospital. She was declared brain dead not long after that. And for a few days, she was on these machines, life support. And eventually they decided to switch off the machines. And she died. Or another case I know of, a man who told me that when his babies were born, his children were born, uh, one of the children, they said, well, he won't live long, perhaps only to the age of two, and then the parents decided to switch off the machines to pull the plug. So, how, how should we regard this in the light of Scripture? I think the first case is not murder with a woman who was brain dead after the accident. I do think that the second case should be considered murder, where the child could have lived to the age of two. So how do you know? When is it murder to pull the plug? When is it not murder? And that's not really a theoretical question, because maybe you will be in that position one day where you need to take the decision and make the decision. Are we going to pull the plug or not? Now, euthanasia, that happens... We call something euthanasia, we call it actually murder, when someone, his life can be extended, but visibly extended and drastically extended, let's say by a number of years or months, but then he asked the doctor or the family asked the doctor, please end my life. And the big word for that is active euthanasia. Really, mercy killing, some would say. It's maybe the best to say mercy murder, but then we can't put the word mercy with murder. Let me give you an example of active euthanasia. 27th of April 2010, a woman in Belgium, 38-year-old woman called Tina Nace, I don't know exactly how you pronounce that, and she asked the doctors, please, would you end my life? And it was a doctor and a psychiatrist because she was declared mentally ill and she was really sad and didn't want to continue living because of a broken relationship. 
And so they gave her the lethal injection and she died as her family was standing right there. Another example is from the book of Judges, chapter 9, verse 52 to 54. So there's uh, one of Gideon's sons, his name is Abimelech, and Abimelech murders his 70 brothers, slaughters them, and in the end, to cut a long story short, he fights against uh, various cities, and he comes to a, a tower in Thebes, and at the tower, people hide in the tower because they know Abimelech's going to kill them. They hide in this tower. And he comes to the door to set it on fire, to set the tower on fire. And a woman drops an upper millstone, a big large stone, and crushes his skull. And so he knows he's going to die now. So he asks his armor bearer, please, will you run me through with your sword? Lest people say that I was killed by a woman. So that's a, an example of euthanasia, active euthanasia where he asked someone to end his life but it's murder it's murder it's a transgression of the sixth commandment you shall not murder because it is God's place and God's place alone God alone is the authority to give life and to end life I wound and I kill I heal the Lord gives life and the Lord takes life. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 verse 29 or 39. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. 1 Samuel 2 verse 6. The Lord kills. He says I kill and I make alive. Revelation 1.18. Jesus says that the keys of death and Hades are in his hands. So if you kill another human being by active euthanasia. Well it means you regard him no more than a dog. You can just put the dog to sleep and you can put this human being to sleep. While Genesis 1.27 clearly says that God has made man in his image. We're not the same as dogs. And for that reason you have no right to take the life of another human being except in the case of manslaughter where it was an accident or in the case of a just war where enemies of terrorists have come into your country to kill and to slaughter and you defend yourself that that goes for the next also self-defense even on an individual level people break into your house and they try to shoot you and you shoot him first or in the case of capital punishment that will not be regarded as murder god gives the government that authority romans 13 verse 4 all right what what in the case of let's say a man is trapped in a car and the car catches fire, he's been in an accident, and the guy's going to burn to death. Oh, you've got a, a 9 millimeter pistol um, on your hip. Are you allowed to draw it and shoot the man? And then we may ask, why, why would you shoot a horse if the horse is trapped in a barn and the barn is busy burning? Why would you shoot the horse so it won't suffer, but you cannot do the same for a human being in the same situation? And Norma, Norman Geisler, Norm Geisler answers, that question by saying the reason a Christian could shoot a horse hopelessly trapped in a burning barn but not kill a suffering human being is precisely because a human is not a horse. So active euthanasia is murder. What about passive euthanasia? Where let's say a doctor, he doesn't take active steps to end the person's life but he simply withhold, withholds the natural means of living, natural 
means of keeping someone alive, like food and water and oxygen, and then the person dies. Uh, Norm Geisler gives an example of a baby who was born with a, with a defect, a bodily defect, and the baby could live maybe for, I don't know, 15 years or 20 years or more. The baby would have been able to live if it could have an operation, but the parents decided no. And they asked the doctor simply to starve the baby. Now, that kind of action, that kind of um, way of acting, that just comes from a worldview, an a evolutionary worldview. A worldview where, well, you're just another animal. A human is just a, an animal, and we're the product of brainless evolution. All right. Question, what if the medical costs are simply too high to keep this person going? And they stay in hospital and stay in hospital and stay in hospital. That does not matter. You cannot set a price on a human life. Human, a human's life, a human being's life is more valuable than any money in the world, than all the money in the world. And according to the Bible, it's much better for us to rather try and relieve the pain of that person through medication, like in Proverbs 31, 6 and 7, where it says, giving alcohol to the person who's suffering in misery, not meaning making him drunk, but they used alcohol as medicine in those days. So rather relieve the pain than taking the person's life. You know the Hippocrat uh, Hippocratic oath, not hypocritical, Hippocratic, uh, a man called Hippocrates, uh, who lived on a Greek island before Christ, and he was a medical specialist. And Hippocrates, in this oath, although it's, uh, the oath is made to a pagan god, to an idol, but one part in the oath was taken by doctors in the past. And they said, I will neither give a deadly drug to anybody who asked for it, nor will I make suggestion to this effect. Similarly, I will not give a woman an abortive remedy. I won't give something to kill the baby. So abortion is covered there in euthanasia. And many doctors took that oath in the past. And then also remember that, that relieving someone's pain is not our highest goal. When Jesus hung on the cross, he did not take the painkiller. Relieving pain is not our highest goal. Our highest goal is to honor God despite the pain. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, praise the name of the Lord. You see Job praising God despite the pain. The same with Paul and Silas in prison singing praises after they've been whipped and lashed and beaten with rods. And people who understand this, they know the difference between passive euthanasia, which is murder, and a situation where someone, for instance, is terminally ill, is going to die, and you let, you allow the person to die. So that happens, that, that uh, letting die, it's different from passive euthanasia. Letting die, it's when all, there's all the proof is there. All the proof is there, the person hasn't got long to live, and they can do nothing more. Doctors cannot do anything more for this person. And I think in that case, it's not wrong for a person to say, I, I'm not going to take medication anymore. I'm not going for further radiation or chemotherapy and it's even right for that person to say, as Martin Lloyd-Jones did when he was um, on his deathbed, do not pray for healing. Do not hold me back from the glory. Now, it wouldn't be wrong for you to pray for that person's healing, 
But it's not wrong for that person to say, I want to go and be with the Lord now. And John MacArthur says, the, the intention of letting die is not to bring about death, but to enhance the well-being of the patient by avoiding useless prolonging of the dying process. Just keep keeping the person on life support, and there's, there's no reason to do that. You're wasting time, you're wasting money, um, you're making it hard on everyone. Let the person die if it's at, to, to that extent the person's illness has gone so far there's nothing more they can do. Allow the person to die. So that is euthanasia, number one. Number two is suicide. Now, statistics show that uh, 23 people per day in South Africa commit suicide, and if you, if you count to that and add to that the failed attempts, then it's 20 times higher. Worldwide, someone commits suicide every 40 seconds. If someone commits suicide, that is almost double the homicide figure, murder. Now, in some cultures, it's an honor to kill yourself. Just think of the, the kamikaze pilots in Japan uh, in the Second World War. Think of uh, Muslims flying into buildings, and they believe that if they die in holy war in jihad, they go straight to paradise. So they, they count it an honor to, to commit suicide. Now, in the Christian worldview, um, suicide is a form of murder, and so it's sin. Now, apart from the example I gave you earlier, Abimelech, uh, there are other examples in the Bible that show that suicide is murder and then examples of suicide in Scripture. So you have King Saul in the very final chapter of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 31, verse 3 and 4. So what happens, the context, uh, Israelites are at war with the Philistines and the, the Philistine archers find Saul and they shoot him. And so now he's afraid they're going to torture him before killing him. So he asks his armor-bearer, please kill me with your sword. And the armor-bearer is afraid he doesn't want to. And so fall, Saul falls upon his own sword. And then the second example is of the armor-bearer. Now he sees Saul is dead and he follows King Saul's example. And he also, he too falls on his sword, into his sword and kills himself. And maybe he too was afraid that the Philistines would torture him. And then Ahithophel, there's a third example. Ahithophel, he was a counselor to King David. But when King David's son Absalom tried to steal the kingdom from his father, David had to flee. And so Absalom's now in Jerusalem and he asks counsel. And he says, well, Ahithophel, what do you say? What should I do? And Ahithophel gives very good counsel. And he says, well, take some of your men and go right now and attack your father, they're weary, they're tired, and you can simply kill your father, and you'll bring all the men of Israel back to yourself. As um, And actually, no, uh, fight against them and kill the king. The rest will scatter, of course. And then, then Ab uh, David had already prayed, Lord, please make his counsel void, make it turn, it turn it into folly, because he's such a good counselor. Please let Absalom not listen to that counsel. And the Lord does so indeed because David had sent Hushai. And Hushai comes and he says, Now, you know, Absalom, Ahithophel usually gives good counsel, but this time his counsel is not good. I'd rather say get all of Israel from north to south, like the sand of the sea, 
um, get the army ready and attack your father and just kill the king and you can bring the rest of Israel back to yourself as a, a bride and a bridegroom are united. And then Ahithophel, he knows that Absalom's now going to go into battle, to war, and he's going to get killed and he's going to die because he's not following the good advice of Ahithophel and then David will return as king and Ahithophel will be executed for high treason. And so Ahithophel thinks, well, let me rather end my life. I'm going to do it myself. Saddle his donkey, goes home, gets home, sorts out his paperwork, and then hangs himself. Another example is Zimri in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 16, verse 15 and 18. He was king for seven days. He had killed the previous king, he would murdered the previous king, and then he became king. And then the Israelites decided, let us kill Zimri because he murdered the king. And so... They surround the city, and when Zimri sees the city is surrounded, he goes into the fortress, locks the door, and sets it alight, sets it on fire, and he dies. Judas. Final example I'm going to give. So Judas, he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and then later on, as you know, his conscience bothers him. He takes the money back to the Jewish leaders, and he goes out and hangs himself. Matthew 27, verse 3 to 5. And then uh, Acts tells us what happened. So the rope, the knot probably slipped or the rope broke. And he falls headlong and he bursts open and his intestines come out. So, so there you have it. Now, except for Saul's armor bearer, the Bible doesn't say that it's a judgment from God when he kills himself. But all the rest, including Abimelech that I mentioned under euthanasia, Abimelech and all these other persons I just mentioned, their suicide was God's judgment upon them for their sin. And I've got all the verses here to prove it. Uh, Judges 9 verse 56, it's because Abimelech slaughtered his 70 brothers that God judged him and he died. Second uh, Samuel chapter 15. In verse 31, we see there also that it's really God's judgment upon Ahithophel. 1 Kings 16, verse 18 to 19, it's God's judgment upon Zimri. That's why he died by suicide. It's God's judgment for his idolatry. 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14, God killed Saul, it says, because he visited a witch, and he did not disobey God's word. And then of Judas, we have many verses where Jesus said it would have been better for him if he had never been born. He's a devil. Um, Satan tempted him. Satan put it in his heart to betray Jesus. He's the son of destruction. And in the end, he goes to hell. He goes to his own place, Acts 1, verse 25. You know, David says of, of the wicked, he says, their sword, their own sword will enter into their hearts. Psalm 37, verse 15. And it's the same today. It's still that way today that God judges some people by allowing them to take their own lives. Like Adolf Hitler, who committed suicide. Like uh, a very famous preacher in Scotland, well, famous in Reformed circles, and prob uh, apparently an excellent commentator, an excellent preacher. And he took an overdose of pills, and he didn't die. He ended in hospital, and then while in hospital, he hanged himself. And then it came out, all of this came out and became known in the media after he had died that he was a serial adulterer. 
Uh, for many, many years, for decades, he had been involved in various cases of adultery. Now, that's not true of every case of suicide, that it's a judgment from God upon the person. We have the case of Samson, for instance, where Samson really wanted to execute God's judgment upon the Philistines, uh, knowing full well he's going to die with them if he does this. So he prayed, Lord, give me strength one more time, because he did not have strength anymore. His hair had been cut, had been shaved, and now he was standing right at the pillars of this pagan temple, the temple of Dagon, the Philistine god, and he said, please, Lord, would you give me strength one more time uh, and let me die with the Philistines. And so he pushes the pillars of the building and they collapse and 3,000 Philistines are killed and Samson dies with them. So Samson is the classic case of someone who ended his own life and yet went to heaven. Uh, Samson did not live a godly life, but in the end he did turn to God and call out to the Lord. And we know this um, that he went to heaven from the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 32, it says, it speaks of the faith of Samson. And then verse 39 and 40, all these, including Samson, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised since God provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In other words, the day is still coming when we'll have the perfect new heavens and new earth and new bodies. And that includes Samson. But, that is the exception. Samson is not the rule. I know, I know that a true believer in a moment of depressive weakness, depression, weakness, that a true believer can be like Elijah or like Jonah and says, Lord, please end my life. Please take my life. I want to die. And yet... We can even go further and say it's possible in such circumstances for that believer in some cases to try and take their life and maybe even be successful. I think here of an example, a man I met, a very, very devoted church member at my friend's church. In every way he proved himself faithful, but, and we don't know the heart I understand, but he was given very strong antidepressants by a clinic and soon after that he hung himself. Well, I think of William Cooper, the hymn writer in England. William Cooper who was very depressed in his circumstances and then he had even received bad teaching on suicide as if it wasn't sin to commit suicide. When he was 11 years old, he had read this piece his father gave him, and his father said, write a critique against it, and he did, and he showed his father, and his father didn't say yes or no, and he thought, maybe my father takes the author's side. And so six times William Cooper tried to end his life. He wasn't successful, but I believe William Cooper was a true believer. And then I also think of Christians who have wrong teaching. Christians who believe you can lose your salvation. Christians who think that they have committed the unpardonable sin, the sin against the Holy Spirit. And so they try to end their lives. They're very depressed. I think of, of Christians who become the... Um, they, they, they come into a situation or they, they're in a position 
where they are bullied or where they are raped or molested and they don't know how to deal with it and they think maybe suicide is a, a good way to, to end all of this. Now, it's very wrong of them and it's sin. It's wrong of that person not to trust in the Lord but not even suicide can separate a true believer from God's love. God will bring that Christian safely to heaven. He will keep the person from falling. He will spare him and help him and keep him from every evil deed and bring him safely into the heavenly kingdom. He began the good work. He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So yes, suicide is sin. It's always sin. But it can be forgiven. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's not like... I heard from a man, who's a Christian, who said someone who commits suicide goes straight to hell, immediately. Um, no, Matthew twelve thirty one says, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men. All sins can be forgiven. It's only the sin against the Holy Spirit that cannot be forgiven, and that is not suicide. I preached a sermon on that not long ago. You can check it up on SoundCloud. It won't be far from the top. Some way down you'll find that, and you can listen to it. Listen, you, you don't go to heaven. No one goes to heaven or to hell because of the very last thing they did before they died. You don't go to heaven because the last thing you did before your death was a good thing. You don't go to hell because the last thing you did before you died was a sinful thing. And yet that does not give you license to commit suicide. Because if your thoughts are continually filled with suicidal notions being drawn to suicide and these thoughts swim in your head and if you continually try to end your life the chances are very good very good that you are probably not saved according to 1 John 3 verse 15 no murderer has eternal life abiding in him Revelation 21 verse 8 murderers will have their portion in the lake of fire and sulfur you will go to hell and so, so I will be very wary to say at a, this, this a person who committed suicide, I will be very wary to say, oh, this person is now with the Lord. I think it's not our duty to determine the person's final destination in a case like that. Our duty is to help those who are still alive and those who are tempted to commit suicide. So how do we help these people? Well, take it very seriously if someone threatens suicide. If they threaten to commit suicide, do not take it lightly. And realize you're not fighting here against flesh and blood. This is a battle against Satan. Satan who was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. When Satan entered into Judas, John 13 verse 27, you know what the outcome was. Judas hanged himself. And so you cannot help this person in your own strength. You need to help him with the weapons of God, with spiritual weapons. You need to pray much, much praying, lots of praying. Share the gospel with a person. Use the scriptures. That's how Paul, the Apostle Paul, helped the, the, the Philippian jailer. When the Philippian jailer wanted to commit suicide in Acts 16 verse 27, he drew his sword ready to kill himself and Paul stopped him. And Paul shared the gospel and the man got saved. And then also find out why does the person want to end his or her life? Do they have a guilty conscience? Well, if they do, the guilty conscience flees where no one pursues. 
And so the solution there is not to end your life. The solution is repent of your sin and have your conscience cleansed with the blood of the Lamb. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and judge and He will forgive you. Uh, faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There's no mercy for you. There's no hope for you if you hide and you run. There's hope for you if you acknowledge your sin and bring it into the open and confess it. Maybe the person is depressed and hopeless and they think, the Lord cannot forgive me. The Lord cannot save me. Well, give them hope from Scripture and show them there is hope. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise you, my salvation and my rock, my God. Show them that Jesus will accept and receive those who come to him, those who are weary, those who are heavy laden, that he will never cast those out who come to him, that even though your sin is great, his grace is greater. Perhaps the person wants to end his life because he, he fears that people will find out what I've done. They'll find out the things of my past. And they'll reject me and they'll punish me. Well, the fear of man lays a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Maybe the person does not want to suffer of a terminal illness or something. They don't want to suffer pain. Or maybe they, they, do, not, they do not see a way forward. They have no hope. I cannot continue living. My child has died or my spouse has died. Now I want to end my life. Help them and show them that the Lord will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will comfort you. He will take you safely through the fire and through the water. The fire will not burn you and the water will not drown you. And then take heed and, and listen to the warning of Richard Baxter when he said, Will it ease you to pass from poverty or crosses, meaning trials? Will it ease you to go from trials into hell? You want to end your life so you won't go through trials? Are you weary of your lives? And will you go to hell for ease? So don't choose suicide. It's not the way out. Maybe, maybe the person wants to commit suicide because they feel, I've no purpose in life. Or they, they're confused about their identity. Who am I? I don't know. Well, help them from the Bible, from God's Word. Show them they are human beings created in the image of God. God has created them for His glory. He's created them to declare His praise, says Isaiah in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Show them that if they come to Christ, they can become a new creation in Christ, and the, the old things can pass, the things of, of their past can go away and be forgiven. Even if the consequences sometimes stay, they can become a new creature in Christ, and they no longer live, but Christ lives in them. They are crucified with Christ. If they... Turn to Him in faith and repentance. And then please be patient. We need to be patient with people who are considering suicide. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 speaks of those who are weak and faint-hearted. and It says, be patient with them all. Be patient. Those who doubt, have mercy on those who doubt. Says Jude. Like John Newton was with his friend William Cooper. He was patient with him. He asked him, please help me to write hymns encouraged him, he had him stay with him, he spent time with him. And then also tell the person, if you choose suicide, it's not the end of everything. Your problems have not gone away, they have now begun because you need to face God. 
Hebrews 9 verse 27 speaks of all men who will die. All of us will die and then comes the judgment. So suicide is never the solution. Never. In no circumstance. And that's what John Bunyan, in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote in the story he wrote of hopeful and hopeful and Christian were friends. And so they got caught by giant despair and he locked them up in Doubting Castle. And while they were there, giant despair gave them a, a rope and a dagger and poison and said, you might as well end your life because you'll never get out of here. And Christian believed him and he considered and said, well, perhaps we should commit suicide. And hopeful said, no. No, Christian, suicide is murder. God says we shall not murder. And suicide is not merely the murder of the body, it's the murder of the soul, because murderers go to hell. So Hopeful said, we should rather wait upon the Lord, wait on the Lord, rather than ending our lives. And so Christian was encouraged again, but then the giant came again, and giant despair beat them mercilessly. And then Christian again thought, I need to end my life. I'm going to commit suicide. And then again Hopeful came and he he reminded Christian and said, don't you remember how the Lord helped us? How the Lord helped you previously? He brought you through very difficult times, through dark days. He was faithful. He will help us again. Let's wait upon him. And that helped Christian. And in the end, they escaped from Doubting Castle. And that actually, that's not just a story. That is a parable of John Bunyan's own life. Because the Lord did help him, as we see in his book, his autobiography, Grace Abounding, through very, very difficult times when Satan kept on harassing him and he was in deep depression and distress and struggle. But the Lord helped him. And can the Lord, can the Lord not do the same for you? Well, of course he can. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians? That the Lord can help us in the most difficult of circumstances and temptations. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven we come to you uh, as dependent human beings, as dependent children of our Father. And, Lord, we do not hope that in the near future we will have these kinds of circumstances or trials or troubles, but we do know that you might allow them to come across our path. Help us then to stand firm, firm in the faith, looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, trusting in him, and in the hardest circumstances in life, to trust you can help us, that we will not choose the foolish way of suicide or euthanasia. In Jesus' name, amen.